you've got a very biased person there in Ferg. Ferg and Paul, it's probably, it'll break soon, but there's a serious bromance going on there. There was an awful lot of questions when we were in camp about, I don't know, were one or two of them slipping over to each other's bedroom at night. They were very, very close. House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby here on Joe. I'm Emer Constantine and I'm joined in studio by Fergus McFadden and former Munster and Ireland scrum half Tomás O'Leary. Tomás, thank you very much for coming on the show. You travelled up from Cork today to watch the game. Even as a retired player, your wife still can't get you home on Valentine's Day. Yeah, look, we've been together long enough, so she knows not to expect any grand gestures. Um, so yeah, I think she, she didn't miss out on too much anyway. No, unfortunately, it wasn't the match we were hoping for. I had a chat with Ronan O'Gara during the week, and that'll be coming up later on on the show. But first, we'll get straight into it. A disappointing loss for Ireland. Again, their second loss in the Six Nations. That hasn't happened since 1998. We thought we'd be coming here tonight, you know, all positive. It's, it's very happy to be positive after that. Yeah, it's, it's, it, that's not a great start you're after um, saying there. But at the same time, they're two really tough matches as well. Um, and two narrow defeats. Uh, you know, today probably probably went a lot better than people were expecting as well. I thought that the first half showing was was really positive. Um, they were unlucky not to score in the corner with James Lowe at that stage. He almost finished that try uh, really well, and you know that would have changed the complexion of the game going into half time. I think uh, the French then had one opportunity, and uh, they. You know, score that try from from you know playing that nice free flowing offloading play um, from that line out. So um, I mean that 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 probably just the knocked uh, that knocked the stuff in there. The lads a small bit just before half time and uh, going in and being down by I think it was um, you know five points when they probably should have been leading at half time. I'd say. Yeah, it's a difficult start knowing that, you know, Ireland had gotten the score sheet 3-0 up. Billy Burns got in, got Ireland into the game and Ficou did amazingly well to, like, inches. It was only a matter of inches, really, that his foot was on the line. Yeah, it was. It was very unlucky, really. Obviously, we did very well to create a space um, from a line-out mall and, and uh, Gibson Park released released the pass at a good time. And obviously, the the little move to, to create space out wide for, for low. Um, it was very well executed. Um, and unfortunately, as you said, it was inches um, from Ireland being up eight to 10 points uh, versus France having a line out to, to clear their lines. So that's the kind of small margins. And like given all the kind of territorial and, and possession dominance that Ireland had in the first 20, 25 minutes, uh, unfortunately, we didn't make that tell on the scoreboard. So it's one positive of today is the set piece did look really well. They managed to rob some of the French lineouts, but also you know were were pretty dominant in both scrum and and lineout today. Yeah, I thought look, you'd see probably uh, Paulie's influence on it. Um, even the simplicity of you know saw a few of the calls were just um, one word cues, and and they went and got clean ball from whatever four or six of the lineout. Um, kind of also disrupted the first three or four French line-outs and, and turned it over um, and unfortunately then was the fourth or fifth French line-out where they've got clean ball for the first time. They eventually went on to, to score off that phase. So yeah, there is, there is, um, I suppose, shoots of hope um, and improvements there. So um, definitely all is not lost and it's it's a second narrow loss uh, in a week. So, um, you, know, uh, you know, if we had taken maybe different opportunities in either of the games, then we could be here with a, an entirely different scenario. But look, 
pressure is definitely kind of mounting on, on, on this Irish team to get a victory. Yeah, like it's those moments, like had that try been scored at the start, maybe France wouldn't have, you know, they, they got spurred on almost by that, by the Ireland missing that try. And typical French stylists went down the field and killed Ireland, like put the hammer into the coffin when, you know, it would have been a, such a joy for Ireland to score that try. Then, as well as that, Ireland, you know, things didn't go their way. Like, that's a certain moment in a game that would have been very important, but also key personnel in the game. It's super important to have everyone there. And three guys went off for HIAs at the exact same time. Like, that's just another blow kick you when you're down. Yeah, I think the, the French were very clinical. And then, you, you know, you had Keane and, and Ian Henderson uh, colliding heads at the start of the second half and losing your, your, your stand-in captain for Johnny, who was, who was doing a great job. He was having a great game. Um, and Keane's such an experienced player in the pack. Like that's, that's you talked about the the team being disrupted before going into the game. Like you know when that happens to experienced guys during yeah. it, it's not ideal either. But I thought they rallied well. Um, I thought Ed Byrne and Ulton Delan played very well when they came on. Actually, um, I thought the scrum maintained to be strong, and so did the lineout. Um, but I actually I thought the most impressive thing from the game from just like a neutral's perspective was the French defence. I just think that the the, Fr the French defence has been, it's been better under Sean Edwards, but this is, I think was one of their best performances. I think there was a clear message for them going into the match just not to go after the ball on the ground. And I think they were hitting us on the gain line um, or behind the gain line and then just leaving the rook dead. So they had um, 14 guys on their feet so that they were very difficult to break down in that weather. So was it people criticising Irish, the Irish lack of, you know, um, creativity, that Ireland looked very flat in attack, but it, could it just have been that the French defence were just phenomenal? There's a, a blue wall in front of you and it's impossible to get through. Yeah, that, the French defence was absolutely very impressive. Um, and as Fergus has said, under Sean Edwards, they've made serious strides in that department. Um, look, I think you can see the difference between the sides was effectively France's ability to, to offload um, either you know, in the contact after they've had a dominant carry or when they've gone through the contact. Um, and that's, that's, again, just down to sheer size and power of the ball carriers. And unfortunately, um, we didn't have, have that ability to, to break through the line and offload in the tackle. Um, we did manage to, to create an opportunity around them for James Lowe's try. Um, so you can see that we have the creativity to do it. Um, but I just think it's down to sheer, sheer size and power and ability to, to, to get through that tackle or dominate that that gain line and offload. So that essentially was the difference for me between the two sides. Um, and because we didn't have that ability, because France dominated the, the tackle line in, in their, the defensive side of their ball, um, I think that was the telling component of the game. It's not like Ireland have small ball carriers. Like they're not lacking in the strength that you were saying they couldn't get past the gain line. Like what, what do Ireland need out of their attack then? It's a tough question. Kind of, yeah, it is a tough question. Um, <laughs> If I knew that, I'd be coaching Ireland, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it's difficult, I think, you know, at test level when the defences are coming off the line that quickly in wet weather, you know, against that sort of a defence on a dry day, you see what England have done to Ireland with that rush defence over the past few years. They're tough to break down. But maybe a little bit more of what Tomás had just mentioned. Um, you know, I think it's, it's great for the players to have the structure, whether it's in attack or defence, but to be looking for, you know, to get their hands free and make that offload. Um, I think there's just times in those really tight test matches where that bit of magic can change. You saw the 
Wales Scotland game at the very end. Finn Russell manages to, he managed to flick that ball out to um, Van der Merve on the wing, and he got tap tackled. But you know that just created space that wouldn't have been there if he did that. And I think you know I'm I'm not saying that guys should have been throwing the ball around the place because you don't want to turn it over, but you saw the benefit it had for the French when they could just get through, even in the second half, when they made that break. Um, the guys are catching the ball and they're just looking to shift it straight away, even when they're making that punching through the holes. So a little bit more of that. Here's what Andy Farrell and Ian Henderson had to say about the game. Unbelievably proud of their efforts. Uh, there was a lot of lads that, that hurting in there, mentally and physically, um, by the obvious... Uh, um, work rate, work, work ethic, putting the bodies on the line for the country, etc. But at the same time, um, you know, uh, test matches are there to be won, especially at home. And uh, we uh, we rue a few um, uh, decisions that we made, stroke chances uh, along that way. So even though um, a couple of days ago people were writing us off, we never wrote ourselves off. The game was there, there to be won and uh, it was a uh, hard-fought contest, but it's one that slipped away from us in the end. Our, our approach, our attitude doesn't change. I just said to the boys in the, in the, in the changing rooms there that um, you know we, we talk about the, the, the strength of the group and the togetherness of the group and um, uh, how close they are, etc. We'll, we'll see how close we are now because we'll... Um, uh, We'll show our true character, won't we? Because it's about uh, finishing. Uh, we're not even halfway through, but making sure that these next three games were, were at our best. And again, that approach doesn't change no matter what. We're not taking the opportunities uh, that, that are presenting themselves for us. Um, I felt we, we were in good positions a lot of the game. And I also felt that uh, more so than France, but France got their opportunities and they took them. Everyone's striving for it. Everyone's working real hard. There's a huge amount of frustration. Um, we're definitely seeing guys putting in the time. Everyone's trying their best to, to, to produce this progress on the pitch. But, but I think it's, it's, um, it's that last couple of inches. It's that, it's that last wee bit um, that, that we need to see. Just, just push it over the line. It's almost like, it's almost like in, in rugby, speaking in terms that I know, you get up into the opposition's 22 and, and you get up there and it's those last couple of metres that are actually extremely difficult to get. We're, we're working hard. No one's going to give up, whether it's coaching staff or players, to continually push to get this. We've had two games um, this last couple of weeks and both of them, I think, could very, very easily have gone the other way and we'd be sitting here with a completely different mentality. So um, I'm proud of the work the guys have been putting in and I'm, and I'm looking forward to... to working um, together going forward to, to see those, those, those strings of uh, um, hard work coming together. From a defensive point of view, so the French defence was excellent, what could Ireland have done better? I think our defensive performance was, was pretty decent. Um, we didn't really get opened up too many times by this French team. Um, you saw their first score. Um, it was basically a couple of fantastic offloads from, from their half-backs. Um, suddenly they were in behind. Quick, quick ball um, to the other side of the pitch, bit of width on on the ball, and it was just maybe a, a poor decision by Gibson Park to hit in. Um, but again, it's back to the two diff two offloads making the difference and, and getting them five ten yards. Suddenly, um, when they move the ball to the other side of the pitch with width, um, they're forcing the Irish team and the Irish defenders to make decisions. Um, and majority of the game, Irish defenders got those decisions right. A majority of the game. Irish defenders stopped this French team getting momentum 
Um, so there was only kind of two or three lane breaks of any kind of note that I can think of. Um, obviously straight after half time as well, the French probably should have scored. Um, but aside from that, you know, we probably managed the game pretty well and our defensive defensive game was was, was, was good. Last week we spoke about that, you know, that I suppose the exact same position James Gibson Park was in and James Lowe was in that position last week and like you have to make a decision as a defender. You're either going man and ball or you're I suppose you're bowing out of it and you're just waiting for it. Um, and I suppose that decision it didn't you know, it didn't work out well again today. But James Lowe we spoke about last week, he actually had seven attempted tackles and four missed. Like that's not a good enough stat as a winger. You need especially when, you know, tries are scored down your wing. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be proud of that stat. Um I mean he brings so much to so much to the team in, in attack and his kicking today is such a huge weapon. I think yeah. I said that the last day, like he, he must have one of the biggest left boots in the world, um, particularly after Rob Carney leaving, having him in and he can just relieve that pressure. So some of his kicking was great. But yeah, it's, it, it's difficult on the edge at test level. You can, get, you can get exposed. I mean, I've been exposed you know, plenty of times at that level when you miss a tackle and you might only have three to make, but you miss an important yeah. one. It's for a try, whereas... People, people forget that in and around a rook, from like the first defender to the fifth, the spaces are so tight. If someone yeah. misses someone in there, a prop or a lock, they'll get cleaned up by someone else. Mm-hmm. Whereas the guys on the edge, whether it's the 13, the 15 or the winger, you miss tackles there, there's going to be tries because guys are so quick and there's much more space to run into. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think people, will, he'll probably look back at the, the clip of, uh, James will probably look back at the clip of where, where Doolan steps in Again, yeah. a very tough tackle for yeah. him. He's he's lunging there. The, 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 his, his weight isn't his weight isn't underneath his feet, and he's he's just trying to grab him. He steps in and, and manages to flick it to Damian Pinot for for that important try. So um, it's it, it's tough. I I don't know exactly what the system is that that Simon Easterby has them running, but um, it might just take a little bit more time for James to get used to it. Yeah. Do you think that that's the reason James stayed on the field? Earls got subbed off and Larmer came on for him. Was it because of his left boot, do you think? Yeah, look, that was definitely a weapon that, particularly in the first half, he plays very well. Um, he's also incredibly good going forward physically with the ball and probably didn't see enough of it in his hands. And you could argue as well that you know the other danger man on, on the wing, Keith Earls, didn't see much in attack as well. Um, so hopefully you can see the game plan evolve where boy. You're getting your threats, whether that's James Lowe's physicality or that's Keith Earl's feet or whatever it is. So you're utilising, the, I suppose, the strengths that your wingers have. Um, and look, he did incredibly well to nearly finish the try. He was very unlucky. So I think um, he will, like other wingers, like Penno there, the physicality he has, James Lowe can offer that and can offer something different maybe than the Irish wingers um, that we have outside of him. So I think he stayed on because he was doing OK. Obviously, he did miss a few tackles. And and like his kicking game was decent, but they just wanted to bring the X factor um, that was on the bench on and give them an opportunity to change it up. That's what you have a subs bench for, and you know this management was just trying to utilise that. Um, certainly, I don't think James Lowe was was played a very very poor game today. I thought he did well enough. Yeah, mm. I think so. And like you said, Keith Earls, for someone who didn't get on the ball, I suppose much in open play really, he more so got a good turnaround off the kick receipts and did very well under the high ball today. Um, but as someone who's played with Keith Earls, both of you have played with Keith Earls, like as a winger, he, you know his strengths are his his step and his pace and why are they not getting the balls to people like James Lowe with his power and his strength and people like Keith Earls and his footwork and like why are we not putting 
them out there to show off what they can do well. Well, we did it in the first half. We put James Lowe into space and made a credit try. The French team didn't do that straight off offset play. So if you want to analyse that, the Irish um, set piece and the Irish first phase play was better than the French today. Um, so we showed we can do that. Uh, why are we not doing it enough? Because it's difficult to do. Um, because at that level, defensive teams are so, so good. Um, the, the, the jump up from, from your Heineken Cup, from your provincial level to international level, and you'll know this as well, um, it's massive. The space is just cut down. Your time the ball is cut down and the sheer physicality of it is is increased. So that's probably why we're not doing it because it's very hard to do. Um, it's I suppose it's easy when you're sitting here like us or you're, you're watching from home to say, oh, our team should move the ball more or we need to get the ball on, on the wings more. And that's probably where, boy, where Joe Schmidt was a, a master is he's, I suppose, he's three, four, um, five set play plays where he was bringing the full back in at an angle or bringing a winger in an angle and get these guys on the ball. Um, but it's the reason we're not doing it is because it's very hard to do. Um, I'd love to see Kidders on the ball more. I'd love to see James Lowe use his physicality more. But um, it's just very, very difficult to ma manipulate defences and, and I suppose, uh, exert your influence as an attacking team onto, onto the game. Um, international rugby is just difficult. So the, Fr the French didn't actually, they didn't really do that either, as in, I know scored yeah. that try, but the French didn't they get the ball at their wingers' hands at all. The wingers were making some good reads in defence. Yeah. Um, definitely, Dulan did extremely well under the high ball for yeah. the few times we test them in the first and second half. But they didn't get to the ball to the edges mm. either, so we ca I don't think we can be guilty of, of that. Um, but I, I think if, if the weather is, is, is better towards the end of the championship against Italy, I hopefully we'll be able to you know, make a couple of changes with a, few, a, a bit of personnel. And it, it, you know, without disrespecting Italy, let's hope that will be a nice confidence builder for us leading into the, the, the last two tough games of the championship. Because you know, they've, they've, just got to, they've got to reset themselves now. It's been a tough couple of weeks you know, off the back of a strange week with two or three really important players for this group to be taken out, all that stuff in the media about Johnny, which was probably a bit of a distraction. Um, and then a couple of you know, calls for key positions where there was still you know, a lot of people talking about it. I think they fronted up really well, so um, just disappointing to lose again. You spoke about the Italian game and going ahead. We have to look towards that Italian game. Who would you like to see involved or been given a chance um, in the next test game? That's a difficult question too. I think um, I thought um, Gibson Park did very well today in terms of tempo, um, and particularly even when the game was in the melting pot at the end. You know, he had a couple of fantastic catches, a couple of offloads and stuff. So thought he was lively, and he he set a good pace. Um, it'd be good to see Craig Casey get a taste as well. Um, but I was impressed with Gibson Park. I think Byrne did well at ten when he came on, yeah. um, and probably like to see the likes of. Uh, Maybe a Jack Carty or someone get an opportunity too. Um, so um, those two guys probably um, Jack Carty and and Casey in at nine. Um, probably look at probably utilizing someone else as a number eight as an alternative to CJ. He's played a lot of minutes over the last few years. We know what he can do. Um, look, he's been a fantastic ball carrier. And he's going to be in our starting starting back row probably at eight or, or six. Um, but I'd like to see someone else given a, a chance at eight against the Italians just to just to see what other kind of balance we could have in the back row as well. What about you, Frank? Yeah, I, I think you'd you'd imagine he might he might cap a couple of those guys for the first time. Um, 
that could be a good energy booster for the group. Um, and those guys, you know, Craig Casey and Tom O'Toole would be two guys who could get an opportunity there. Um, uh, you know, I, I would like to see a couple of changes, but at the same time, because the first two matches, unintentionally for them, have been pretty disrupted, they yeah. probably want to keep a couple of the combinations as well. So I doubt they're going to ring in the changes because, you know, Italy made it quite tough for England, actually, um, in Twickenham for, for a lot of that match. Yeah. So, you know, I do think we'll beat them, but we don't want to take them for granted. We need to get a bonus point now. We need to beat them by as much as possible. So they'll still be picking the very strong side. Yeah, exactly. Um, going back to the Welsh game, um, or going back to the French game today, was there, I suppose we've, we've talked on the bad stuff, but was there any positives that we can take, like any good performances, any standout players um, that you thought, you know, did really well today, really stood up to the challenge and I suppose took the game by the, the scruff of the neck? I think a positive is... France are really considered one of the top two, three teams in the world at the moment um, and have a bit of form, so they have momentum. Yet, um, we had a chance to win the game uh, right up to the end, so we were very, very competitive. Um, our defence was good. Our, as you said, our line-up set piece has improved. Um, I, from a personal point of view, obviously, looking at it with my nine hat on, I thought Gibson Park had a very, very decent performance. Um, Difficult to play a full 80 minutes as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I thought Reese Rullock in the first half was particularly good as well. So um, it's definitely encouraging signs, and it shows that um, we're not a million miles off as well as, you know, you're missing your first-choice halfbacks. Um, and, you know, there's other kind of key players, Ryan obviously missing from the pack as well. So um, to go into it, to, to give other guys some experience, especially fresh halfback pairing into a game of that magnitude and really, really be competitive, I think that's very, very positive. Were you happy with the halfback partnership and how Billy Burns did and the influence that Ross Byrne had on the game when he came on? Probably the wrong, wrong man to ask here. Yeah, not really, just I wouldn't, you know, I, I think that Jamison had a brilliant game, um, really, and I thought that it was great to see um, Billy Burns bounce back. I think once he settled into the match, he, he, he did well. Um, but I also do think that, that Ross Byrne played brilliantly for that last 10 minutes that he got. Yeah. I think that we probably got the ball to the edges a little bit more, and I know we were chasing the match, but we got the ball to the edges a little bit more, and you know we were a lucky enough bounce for Ronan Keller, but he, he played brilliantly when he came on as well. That, got a, like, that turn of pace he had, yeah. you know, some of the form he's had for Leinster, it's got to be up for grabs between him and Rob Herring leading into... If he gets his chance against Italy, you'd think it could be... Um, competitive for for that Scottish match between for a, for the hooker spot, but um, yeah, it was it was great to see the likes of Reese Ruddock, you know, play particularly well. I think that he has been left out in the cold for a long time by Ireland, and he stood up and showed the type of player and guy he is. Um, that was probably you know probably nervy before that game. He hasn't played for started for Ireland Six Nations in an awful long time, and uh, he, he he had an awesome match. Yeah, absolutely. OK, great stuff. We will take a short break and chat about the weekend's other games and chat to Tomás about some of his best Munster memories and maybe a bit of GAA too. But before that, earlier this week, Aviva launched the Safe to Dream team, an online hub which aims to improve access for young people on their sporting journey within clubs or at home through online skills, videos and advice and support from leading sports ambassadors. As part of that Aviva mini rugby virtual skills hub launch, I got to chat with Ron Nogar about coaching, how he is getting on back in France and about Paul O'Connell joining the Irish setup. So Ron, welcome to House of Rugby. Delighted to have you on. You've been on the show before, but it's, it's great to have you back on. At the weekend, 
past you had a Cork reunion on Sunday with Simon Zebel. Unfortunately, it didn't go your way at 26-22 away last harassing. Um, and you guys missed the chance to go on top. How have you been finding it in La Rochelle so far? Yeah, it's been going um it's been going well. It's been going um very challenging at times. Um I spent obviously four and a half years at Racing, so I was aware of uh you know I mean the French championship and the importance they put on it and I suppose squad harmony being the big one. Then you go to Crusaders where, uh, to give a little bit of context, I was, you know, I left Munster for 16 years as a player uh, into coaching a lot of world-class players at Racing, so out of your debt, but hanging on by your fingernails about trying to give a better impression that you know more than you do. And as we know as players, uh, you know your your job and probably the, your nines job and twelves and back rows inside out, but there's the bigger picture stuff of one to fifteen, one to twenty three is very very new to you. So it takes a while to get your head around that. So uh, I was very lucky to get the opportunity in the Crusaders to get into a world class environment, and it genuinely is that. It's it's uh, the words wouldn't do it justice, but it's I think I've been re-energized, re reinvigorated with knowing what real um what's best for the team mentality looks like. You don't get that in personal development trips by going visiting places around the world for a week or two. I was absolutely convinced for probably the first four months that because there was rumors when I was in New Zealand that I was there as a kind of a spy for Irish rugby and what's this about because but like for people that know me, kind of, thankfully, they know I'm quite ambitious and I get struck into whatever uh, job I'm doing. And uh, I was kind of beginning to wonder, are these guys holding back here? Like, what's what's the magic potion here? Why is it everything they're talking about so simple? But that's, that's what New Zealanders believe in, the simple things doing well. And to give you an example, it's the capacity to run straight and pass the ball. You watch so much Northern Hemisphere rugby and so many people think that the try line is on the touchline. So it, it was just, uh, I was made aware of that probably in wrestling with Dan Carter, but then to get it on a daily basis and seeing how you can train that in the Crusaders, that made it great for me. And, and just... Um, you know, I was definitely glass half empty person. Now I'm definitely glass half full because I believe in growth mindset and I've, I've lived the growth mindset and I know what that looks like and I know what, you know what I mean, numbers um, 12 to 17 of the backs, how if they feel engaged in a project that everyone will benefit and it was really, really powerful. And do you think you've found your feet now in relation to that coaching capacity? Yeah, I do. I do. I think I'm not far away from hopefully, um, you know what I mean, completing that jigsaw mentally. I think the massive thing I got from uh, the Crusaders was I, I needed to taste it. I needed that confidence to be, uh, for me, there comes, I suppose, in all of us, uh, something that has to convince because, as you know, life is a probably... It's you against you getting the best out of yourself. So how do you do that? 
And because of my background and because of coaches and because of maybe the time I played the game in Ireland, the All Blacks were growing up, were made out to be guys that were the best ever and untouchable and were lucky to take the pitch with these guys. Nonsense. But unfortunately, if that's your mindset and that's what's been hammered into you from a young age, you'll always feel a little bit inferior. But now, thankfully, I don't. And I feel on a level playing pitch. I know what their weaknesses are. I know what their strengths are. And um, I just, I suppose, have a great uh, sense of contentment with uh, having, you know, not talking... uh, with a big head probably earning their respect and that's important too because you know what I mean the great thing about the rugby world it's small and they all talk and they'll know whether you did a good job but I'm really connected to so many of their players now that I felt like I was there for way longer than two years and I think that's hopefully a compliment to both of us you spent a lot of a lot of your career both playing and obviously coaching in France but what you were clearly happy and content over there but what spurred on the move back to France I think opportunity in the fact that I love coaching both sides of the ball. I don't know, do I prefer, uh, you know what I mean, being an attack coach or a defence coach. In La Rochelle, I get the opportunity to do both. So that really, really uh, makes me feel great. I love it because, um, you know what I mean, I, I was an average tackler, but I think I was a good defender in the fact that I know what opposition out half uh, like and don't like so I apply that to everything I do so I set up teams with you know what I mean for the example of I give would be Bowden Barrett if you give him time he'll rip you apart you can't give Bowden Barrett time so the key is if you've got a double mark and triple mark but for me I always felt like when the ball isn't in Bowden Barrett's hands my team has a better chance my team i.e. Razor's team has a better chance of performing so You've got to be smart about how, how you do that. But if, if we always think the same about certain things, we'll always get what we always got, which is the definition of insanity. You know what I mean? To do the same things and expect a different result. So, um, sorry, 20% battery, my fault. <laughs> um, so fr- from that regard, it was to go back there was to, so I could, I could continue not being put into a box of being responsible for this because I love big picture too. I love the connection. I love the empathy with the players. I love um, knowing how they feel. That for me is what sport is about. We're not pushing robots around the place. You know what I mean? We all have bad days. You feel some days the game is so simple. You look at the example of you mean, goal kicking or doing any skill. You can be doing the exact same technique and with your eyes closed, you can kick the ball over. Then there's other days, a penalty on a 15-meter line on the 22, you're like, oh, God, this post looks so small today. What's going on here, you know? So uh, it's about, I suppose, creating an environment where you give your players the best chance to succeed because in my time in Munster, uh, I was made feel 10 foot tall by certain coaches. Other coaches probably squeezed me. And... Then you get that experience with going on Lions tours uh, where you come across the best players and the best coaches and you take a little bit from everyone and now it's your time to, to, to have a go at it. And going, going back to those coaches that made you feel 10 foot tall, like what attributes 
would you try and replicate as a coach like what did they do to you to make you feel that way for coaches that may be listening or watching on yeah I think I think you've got to load your players with certain um tools or a framework where um I'm giving you this framework where you play the game, but I don't ever want you to be robotic and I'd really like you to trust your instincts. But defences are organised, Emer. They're very much in your face. So, you know, you can't just go into a game with a willy-nilly plan where we'll have a look and see what's on. Because, you know, you try playing Etosia every week and, and people have that level. You have to have a plan. You have to back the plan. But I suppose my big one would be trying to have a, a philosophy where we have a framework, but within the framework, you've option A, B, and C, and it's up to 10 to pull the trigger on whichever one he wants. So I always put myself in that, in that 10 role or the second receiver role, or first receiver role, and from an attack point of view, there has to be space somewhere. Who's identifying space? If there's one fella, the number 10 looking for the space, you're not going to be effective. If you have a dog howlet who opened my eyes about the attack game or a topoki outside you, you're made look like a genius at the time, but it, like I got all the credit, but like I just laughed to myself with the boys afterwards in the bar going, <laughs> thanks, Dougie, thanks, Rua, because they were calling stuff on the run, like in terms of run kicks or just push me on an overs, hit me inside shoulder and you get to him. It was just talk on the run is so important, but um, I just love the, I suppose the daily challenge of trying to get the best out of, out of people and you're dealing with tight head props to wingers were so different in rugby that that's why you know that you don't have a response or a solution for everything but players will admire you by saying okay yeah he's not a know-all put up his hands there come on boys I need a few suggestions here help me out you know so we've got to have a I suppose a collaborative approach to things yes we've got to wrap it up at the end of the week and sort of it's discussed we decide and we apply you make it sound so simple. You're running straight and passing and communicating. It's the stuff that, you know, we're taught. We're say, it's said how many times. But are we taught, Emer? I don't think we are taught. Yeah. Because w- what we've done in the Crusaders, up, so you know how rugby pitches line traditionally. But for us in Crusaders, every five metres, there's red straight lines painted on the pitch because you get players who will go, I'm not drifting on that pass. What are you talking about? So you don't do anything. You just go, all right, we'll just have a look here at the laptop. So, okay, so the line is moving. You're not, is it? If you understand me, you know? So it was brilliant. Just the power of of the image or the video is so much more. And if you can do that live where you have, you know what I mean, a session that can get um, coded on the run, and you do have a water break and you come over to a, a, a you know, your portable uh, van and you have the screen there and you can go, okay, this is what straight line looks at. This is what looks drifting on, on the ball, you know. But it, it sounds simple, but it's probably the hardest skill in rugby, I think, I'm finding anyway, is people capacity to stay square and pass. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely something that people can... I think a lot of people will take something from that conversation there about the lines and you never know, we might see some other pitches with different different lines in Ireland very soon. Another Munster man who's obviously continued on his coaching career is Paul O'Connell. Again, very new to his coaching career, but you said, you know, coaching is more than just, you know, coaching robots and Paul probably is someone who players will benefit, they will respond well to someone like Paul and and his impact that he will have on, on the forward pack. Yeah, he's it's a... 
I think there's a misunderstanding, you know. I'd be a little bit worried if Paul was going as head coach of Ireland because he doesn't have those experience of, of you know I mean, what is experience? Experience is putting yourself in the same situation and getting a better result or outcome the next time. So, but he's doing a, a, a role which he's very, very, very good at. He knows the subject matter inside out. He is so well prepared. He's very hard working. He's got a great brain. He's got a very good attitude. He's got many sides to him that a lot of people don't know. And I think um, it's a great time for any forward to be involved in Irish rugby. That's, that, that's how I would view it. This guy is very, very special. I, I've come across very, very few people like him in the world. And, and I've traveled a bit with, with, with coaching. He's... he's he he's um, I, he's obviously a very good friend, uh, but you know what I mean. If parking that, I think uh, in terms of judging him, uh, he can call it too, and he can give you the harsh truth. But he can also be very, very uh, warm, a very warm person to you, and a very encouraging person, and a very smart person as well, which is important. People are, I suppose, associate hardness and ruthlessness and fear of God with Paul, but that's that's one percent of them. Yeah, even even chatting on last week's show with Ferg and the boys, they're saying you want to do it for the coaches. You know, when you want to do it, when you want to do it, it mind you, that change. That's you. You've got a very biased person there in Ferg. Ferg and Paul. It's probably it'll break soon, but there's a serious bromance going on there. There was an awful lot of questions when we were in camp about I don't know were one or two of them slipping over to each other's bedroom at night. They were very very close. I'll have to get Ferg's comment on this yes. to get a reaction to that comment there. <laughs> oh, Rowan. yeah, it was a table for two with every time we were out for squad dinners, table for two, yeah. So they were very, very close. Very good. I'll have to ask him about that one. I suppose as Proud Munster people, um, we have to be delighted with the, I suppose, the academy structures and the structures that the upcoming new boys that have really stood up, you know, when the internationals were away over the, the autumn nations and stood up in the pro 14. Um, how have you been enjoying the, the rugby that Munster rugby are playing at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's been very exciting to watch, obviously, because of, you know, coming from West Cork, a lot of them, it's obviously big traditional football county. And, uh, uh, these guys are making their mark on the team, but their time is now, and it's good. And you need guys like, uh, you know, Craig Casey and the two brothers putting putting their stamp on it. And uh, Gavin Coombs could potentially uh, play this weekend now. Yeah. Or sorry. Um, so I think the great thing about it is they're ambitious, and they need to be because that was always the strength of Munster was local players. We, we, the province bought quality imports, but like, I think what what was absolutely crucial—the heartbeat and uh, of the team was local boys, and that and that should never never change. Because if you you know what I mean, the reality is, you got to love who you play for, and you love a place. I think more if you're from there. That for me is non-negotiable. But uh, it is. It is good to see they're taking their opportunity, uh, but they've obviously got a lot of mentoring and, and, and support up to this point. And um, it's very hard now with the European games, I suppose, being taken away from them to see, you know what I mean, or for us to even call about who would start for Munster in their first 15 because they have competition for places. But do you really need that? And 
Uh, you saw glimpses in the Leinster game that uh, Munster were on top, but they didn't finish it. And that, that's, that's the next challenge they'll face. Yeah, absolutely, Ron. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Emer. Cheers. House of Rugby Ireland. Tell us what you think by comment and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. So lots of good stuff from Rod to get stuck into there, but I think everyone will want me to start on something he touched on in our chat. Fergus and Polly's bromance. So what's that all about, Ferg? I don't know. I, t- I think we probably just got on a little bit better than him and Johnny did back in the day. So you probably couldn't understand that from a Leinster uh, and Munster perspective. Season more just a little bit jealous as all. Well. I know we did. We did get on well. In fairness, uh, yeah, we would have, would have had a good uh, player and friend, friends, friendship relationship. Did something happen in that World Cup in in Wellington? How do you mean? Was there something that happened on that night? You know that really spurred on that sort of a bromance. This is obviously coming from his book, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, there, were, there, there wasn't really anything that happened. I, I remember hearing something that was in his book. I haven't, haven't actually read Paulie's book, to be honest. But um, So basically when Ireland got knocked out against Wales, um, it was in Wellington. And, you know, obviously the management wouldn't have planned that we were going to get knocked out in that game. And so the flight wasn't actually back until the Monday. The game was on the Saturday. So... Um, Everyone was pretty dejected back at the hotel because that was a that was a team of you know guys like Gordon Darcy and 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 Drico and and Paulie and Leamy and Raj and just guys that had, had been through a very successful period with Ireland. That was kind of their chance after disappointing days and seven. So the, we got back to the hotel. Got, it was pretty grim and guys were pretty down. But there was a bit of a sing song and a few beers and I sang uh, the, the Rock and Roll Kids is the, the song I sang. I'm not a particularly good singer, but I sang it anyway <laughs> to get a bit of an atmosphere going. And the following, or that night we were out anyway, uh, the team was out and there was Irish fans everywhere. In fairness, the travelling fans were unbelievable. And there was obviously, a, there's a lot of expats, I think, in New Zealand or must have gone, come over from other countries, surrounding countries. And um, so the following was unreal and obviously it was, it was good crack with them out and about. But because there was so many people everywhere, um, me and Paulie got separated from the team so um, he was talking to this old man and he was kind of pointing at me to, to, to come over and chat to him so we went over and there was a guy called Brendan Graham so he, he actually wrote The Rock and Roll Kids and I just sang it for the boys that no night way. Uh, I just destroyed his, his song <laughs> earlier on that night and he was an absolute gent and uh, we got back from the World Cup anyway we're back with our provinces and one um, I, I, I got this like a, like this A4 like uh, envelope thing in the in the post around a month later, and it was like an original manuscript from him signed by him and stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and he sent one to Paulie as well, so it was a pretty cool one. But I think that's that's my PC story for the show. Okay. I don't know. What, I don't know what story the Paulie has. I actually know we'll have to look at the book and find out the real story. But uh, did you sing Rock and Roll Kids for him? Did you butcher it for him in front of him? I actually didn't bother. No, no you didn't join in on a duet or anything. No. You didn't. Rod tells us in it was just chatting there. He tells us about you know how difficult he found it coaching at the start and how he had so much to learn and that he learned so much along his journey in New Zealand in particular. You worked, you played with um, Anthony Foley and played under him as a as a player, and you also played with Leo Cullen and under him as well as a player. How difficult is that, or how strange is it to I suppose take the friend and player hat off and change it to a coach? 
it wasn't difficult for me um, personally because, look, I suppose even if it wasn't been picked by by Axel or whoever it was, you know, I can understand there's probably reasons behind that more related to my own personal performance rather than, um, I suppose, rather than making it a personality thing. And Axel was always straight up uh, whenever he wasn't picking the air, you know, there was no there was no kind of bull with him really. Like he, he called a spade a spade. And that's what I found the best coaches were, were like that. They didn't make up um, excuses or, you know, they didn't pick statistics or whatever. They said, look, prefer this guy or I think he's playing better or whatever it is. So for me, from my own point of view, it wasn't kind of difficult for me uh, playing under Axel Evan, played with him. Um, and like I think that set up actually, you know, Mikko Driscoll was one of the, the coaches as well. Fla was one of the coaches. Felix ended up being a coach. So yeah. I would have had four, I think, in, in one coaching setup at a time that I had played with. Um, so it just became the norm. Um, still had the personal relationship with them. Um, but obviously, you respect their position as coach. So, yeah, look, um, and on to Roger's point, I think probably the benefit that he has had is he's gone to different cultures. And um, maybe, you know, if Axel did it again, you know, he he might have left Munster and, and got an appreciation for, for a different way of doing things. Um, and then obviously the, the players evolved and you're onto a new breed of, of people. And, you know, people learn differently, people play differently. So, you know, he was probably harping back to the, the Munster team that he was part of and, you know, I suppose their standards and, and the way they did things and maybe that wasn't as applicable to the group of players that he inherited. Um, and I just think as well in terms of ability, that the playing group that unfortunately Axel had wasn't as good as the previous generation. So all of those things combined to, to make it a difficult time for Axel, unfortunately. Does your relationship change from the player to when he stepped into that coach's position? Uh, of course it does, of course it changes, like I would have, um, to be honest, an awful lot of coaches in Leinster I, I would have played with at times, you know, there would have been um, Leo Cullen obviously, but even Guy Easterby is part of the management, um, you've got Trevor Hogan, uh, then Felipe obviously, um, so there's a, there's a number of guys there, so, yeah, but, and, and Leo being the boss man, there was obviously awkward conversations because we had a very good relationship as 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 players in the same change room and then all of a sudden he's my boss and you know we're talking to each other in a different way there's just a different dynamic and there has to be when he's a director of rugby and there's just a barrier up straight away I think you know there's an upstairs and downstairs in Leinster of like the staff are upstairs and the players are obviously downstairs and and you get on great with the staff I've got some brilliant friends from the staff that I have from there and but there's always a barrier up and I think particularly the higher up the food chain it is, like Leo's picking the team, so he can ruin your week. So when he's coming up to tell you, not t tipping on your shoulder, which unfortunately was happening to me uh, a little bit too often. It wasn't just for towards, a chat. Towards the end of my <laughs> career. Um, it just, yeah, it just changes the dynamic. And for a day or two, you, you dislike the guy a lot. You're like, how is he doing this? And how is he picking him ahead of me? And he knows what I can do. I've been on the pitch before. But that's why I think it's kind of hard to... You just can't put yourself in, in their shoes because you've never been in there. But I'm sure you cross the other side of the fence and become a coach. It must be such a difficult thing because I was only the player that looked at the, the person that was the coach that used to be us. But he's almost like the, for him, I'm sure it's like, it's such a tough thing because I'd say he wants to still be your friend in a way, but he just can't be. You know what I mean? Um, but it's a very difficult thing to manage. Yeah, it's his job at the end of the day, I suppose. We, one of the players 
that I played with used to be our manager. So like just I suppose the organisational side of things and often you tell her stuff and she's like, do I have my friend hat on or do I have my manager hat on? Because her reaction will be completely different based on whichever one she is. And you'd have to specify that this is just me telling you as a friend or this is me telling you as a player. And it's a completely different conversation and reaction based on what hat that yeah. they have on at, at any particular time. I remember there was, uh, when Leo, though, towards, like closer towards the end, I was like, I was getting picked less and less and say the Heineken Cup matches and you know there's some weeks on a Monday you you would know maybe how training was set up that you were probably not going to get in or, or something so the way Leo does it is he comes down on a Tuesday and he starts so the the backs do a weight session and the, the forwards do a weight session and then vice versa you do meetings at different times so when the backs are down there he'll come down wandering around and he'll be tapping everyone on the shoulder and if you get a tap on the shoulder it's not good news yeah. it's bad news so sometimes if I kind of knew I'd see him coming and it's a big open plan gym I'd see him coming I go, I'm going to make it tough for this fucker now when yeah. he starts coming after me so I just start sifting in and around if he's getting up close enough to a group that I'd be close to I'd just kind of meander down the other end of the gym and act like I was doing an exercise and then yeah. I'd go somewhere else and you could kind of see him kind of coming. So <laughs> I think every yeah. group is the same with that. I think every, there's always some sort of a selection process and you know you're going to get the curly finger and you don't want to get that. Um, and it's avoiding people and going into different rooms. They have to go and try and find you, which is never... Actually, one time they forgot to tell someone that she was dropped. Um, no it wasn't good, I suppose. We did so much dodging of the coaches that they actually forgot that they never told her she was dropped. And... Um, the team was named and she hadn't been told she wasn't playing. So there's dodging for a good thing and then there's dodging for, for a bad thing. Mm. We'll get cracking into the other matches of the Six Nations this weekend. Goated for Scotland, I suppose, in the performance that they had that, you know, a 24-25 loss. Um, you know, they were down to 14 men. A very similar situation. Wales scraped over the edge just like last weekend. Um, Scotland looked like they were doing well, looked like they were well ahead until that red card and then it kind of went downhill from there. Yeah, like to go um, up so so handsomely early and to, I suppose, surrender that lead to, to Welsh team who have been struggling, um, they'll be very, very disappointed. Um, you know, Scotland, you know, a few the tries that, that they got in the first half were, were beautiful, particularly the little ship um, from, from the nine. Um, you to, appreciate to, that yeah, it was, it was really like just totally off the cuff and um, like to open up the defence. And I suppose we talked about Ireland struggling to open up the French defence where we kicked a lot in, in the first half. There were a lot of high bombs, so maybe a little different kind of uh, attacking kicks might have been better. But um, Scotland illustrated how to utilise those little attacking chips um, perfectly well. And they just look like a team, you know, uh, in high, high in confidence, high in form. Uh, under a management team who are encouraging them to play, like their both their wingers look really, really dangerous. Obviously, you know, total different statures. Uh, one massive man, South African, and uh, a really diminutive, skillful, um, but very powerful winger on the other side. And then I suppose the you know their their number ten, who is kind of a, I suppose a maverick really, and when it comes to it, can produce the sublime, but also. Um, you know, you, give it, you can see the Heineken Cup final last year where he made a few mistakes. So, um, but they're a team that's kind of high in confidence, and it's not going to be an easy place for Ireland to go um, to, to try and get a victory this year. Definitely not. Um, what about the red card, Fagerson? A very similar, I suppose, one to last week's one that it was a clear out of the ruck again, illegally done. So, hmm. yeah, I think it was a fair enough red card. I think with the rulings that are in at the moment, any contact with the head. Um, from your arm or shoulders, it's just going to be a red card. And 
it's just difficult for guys, um, you know, for, for, for Peter Amani the week before and then Xander Fagerson, yeah. you know, I very much doubt that either. And I know Fagerson ran in from, from, but he was just trying to clear the guy out and things happen very, like people's body height and position change very quickly in rooks when they're being flipped in different positions. And he was kind of, I think Hogg was trying to flip, flip him off and his head popped up and, and Fagerson just, unfortunately for him, caught him on the head and, He'll be, he'll be kicking himself because if they had 15 players, I, I really don't think they, they would have surrendered that lead, as, as, as Tomás said. But fair play to the Welsh for, for hanging in there. and They've been dogged the last few games and, and they're, they're not going to be easy to beat for, for the French or the Welsh now. Or French, sorry, French or the English. A few weeks ago, you mentioned Rhys Amish, you know, kind of relatively unheard of, new to, new to the Welsh scene. Um, but he has really put down a mark in the last few games. Yeah, he has. He's like his finishing um, has been, you know, exceptional. Uh, I think that that one where he chipped the ball yeah. over Hogg's head, like even burned Van before he yeah. even like kicked but, it yeah, over. And I know that that Hogg is uh, he was turning, but like he just glided past him. He's, he's he looks like a proper sprinter, and he's got that kind of balance as well, where he can step. And he's obviously a nice footballer with that chip. So, I mean, I think he. I, Watched him in an interview afterwards, and like the guy barely has any hair on his face. Like, he's, <laughs> he's just twenty or something. Just turned twenty. He, lo- he, he looks, looks about sixteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, my wife is like, "What age is that guy?" I know. So he, uh, <laughs> he, he should have a really bright future. I think if they can get North back, and I'm not sure how badly the centres are injured, but if they could, you know, pull a bit more of a backline together, they they will get tougher to beat. I'd say as the competition goes on. Yeah. What What is their chances of? winning a championship like? I don't think they'll win a championship but um, you fancy France at, at this stage um, but like Pivac was under savage pressure coming into this Six Nations and all of a sudden they're two from two and like Fergus said they're going to be very hard to beat they have a bit of momentum a lot of experience kind of galvanised by, by Alan Wynne jones in, in the second row and I thought Falato was, was unbelievable um, his work rate as well uh, was fantastic and like you said you know the the wingers now Rhys Samet and Liam Williams and obviously Biggers are um, Bigger went off and they made a big call to uh, in 10 position with 20-25 minutes to go so that illustrates a bit of um, I suppose ambition by a coach as well um, so look they're a very experienced side but they're starting to I suppose bring in a bit of uh, a bit of youth and a bit of uh, sparkle as well they had Johnny Williams who played against Ireland went off with the the HIA, he's a fantastic player too. So, um, well, I don't think they'll win a, a championship. Um, you probably can't dismiss them either. Um, and all the experience they had um, under Gatland, under John Edwards, that kind of told in the game against Scotland on the weekend. Do you still think there's more in them though? Are they still only in like second and third gear? Like they've they've won the last two games, scraped the last two games without actually playing particularly well. No, I think that's just going to be the way they're 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 probably going to play for the rest of the competition as well I'd, I'd imagine they'll, they'll put a nice score on, on Italy but um, the games in, against France and England are going to be seriously tight matches as well um, so You were saying the Welsh are never easy to win against Yeah I, I don't think they are and I, was, you know, I think before the show we were talking about maybe how good a win that was for Ireland in the autumn beating the Welsh by that much because the Welsh are a very tough team to put away um, you know even in that World Cup in uh, 2015, when um, the Welsh were they were they were down by 
I think around 10 points against England, they came back and beat them. And they just, they kind of have that fight. And that's, I know that's one example, but they always have that fight where they never give up. And um, I think uh, the likes of Alan Wynne-Jones and, and Dan Bigger, they, they've obviously got a good culture there. And they're still only finding their feet under the, the new coaching t ticket of uh, PVAC. But um, when you say, can they win the Six Nations? You definitely couldn't rule it out with the way the results are going these days. No, absolutely not. What about the English game? England 41, Italy 18, a bonus point win for England and a couple of great tries scored by Anthony Watson and Johnny May, but it wasn't all plain sailing for them with Italy. No, the Italians, I suppose, illustrated glimpses of what they can do with Ioni's try after whatever couple of minutes it was. Um, and England kind of stuttered for large periods to, to get on their momentum. Um, but like you said, um, Anthony Watson showed how dangerous he is in, in kind of in broken field and, and beat the, the last defender easily for his try and Johnny May's finish was pretty pretty ridiculous as well. Um, so I guess that X factor that they have um, along with the power game that they, they can exert. Um, I know they probably had a, one or two injuries and they've had a few injuries and a bit of disruption to their team but um, I suppose chopping and changing at, at 10 as well hasn't helped and probably the the lack of real competitive game time that the Saracens lads have had, um, that kind of probably told in their first game and they kind of probably brought remnants of that into the into the Italian game as well. Um, so um, probably need a probably viable alternative as well to, to Ben Young's at this stage. Look, he's 100 and whatever, four or five caps, um, unbelievable servant for England. But um, Dan Robson did okay when he came on, but they really need um, a real alternative to push on at nine as well, I think. Yeah, the talking about nines, Owen Farrell actually hit the Italian nine late and it went actually to TMO, but they deemed it that it was it was fair, but it was a no-arm tackle on... He had a no-hand tackle last week on Vandermeerve and then again this week he got, you know, one of his tackles were highlighted. Is this... Have, you played obviously against Owen Farrell a lot. Is this a common trend of his or is it just unfortunate for him? Well, he gets a lot of stick... Um you know, he obviously had that high tackle where he clotheslined the guy against Wasps when Saracens lost him. Yeah. Um, lost him last year before they played Leinster in the quarter, even though they still they still beat Leinster. But so he does hit guys high. Um, he hits guys very hard. He's probably one of the biggest hitters for a ten since Johnny Wilkinson. Um, he really does have. I think you know he's very brave and extremely um, physical. But he does get his timing off sometimes, and I, I'm not so sure, to be honest. I think it's more because of his own firewall. People were talking about it yeah. afterwards. The one against Italy was much of a much, just like it was nothing in that. It's it his reputation at this stage, really, isn't it? A little bit, a little bit. And, you know, we've all been there where you're having a bit of a bad run, and you just, you know, you're involved in, in um, you get sin binned or this dirty play, and sometimes you just need to let it settle for a while. But it's obviously such a high profile guy, and, and there's been a couple of instances that. Um, yeah, there's a couple of yellow flags down, like kind of looking out for him, but um, I wouldn't have said there was any intent behind it. No. Um, a few younger lads in the current squad, um, Tomas, obviously Craig Casey is a nine. Um, in your own experience coming up through nine, you know, and obviously focusing in on nines, the, what's the current scrum half situation like at the moment in the Irish setup? I think it's pretty good. Um, Probably the the issue has been that that Murray has been so far ahead of any anyone else for the last ten years, really. Um, and there's been, I suppose, he's he's obviously been fit and well for a majority of that too. So thankfully, we haven't had to test too many other guys. But um, 
I suppose the the drop down in standard was anyway was pretty significant. Look, we're talking about whatever two or three time line tourist. Um, he's got whatever eighty odd caps for Ireland and and one how many Grand Slams. So um, I suppose the fact that we got to see Gibson Park play play well um, today, I think, was positive. Um, Craig Casey looks so exciting for Munster, and all the vibes out of the camp are really really positive. Like the forwards love playing with him because. He's so energetic. He gives direction. He demands demands um, so much of them. So they love playing with him. And obviously, from a spectator point of view, from a, from a fan point of view, um, you know, just the energy and the, the speed he gets to the breakdown. Obviously, the issue is there. We haven't even seen him play European Cup rugby. But um, I guess Farrell and, and the management team in Ireland wouldn't have picked him if they didn't see something in him and if they didn't have the right tone bites coming from the Munster camp, Munster coaches. So that's extremely positive there. Obviously, then you've John Cooney up in Ulster. It looks like John Cooney's third choice. He was there, he's travelling. Yeah, um, like last year in particular, he was unbelievable. And I suppose that was the that was the I suppose opportunity for him to maybe get a cap. And unfortunately, for one reason or another, he didn't get a cap. Um, Luke McGrath has won how many Heineken Cup titles how many caps for Ireland? So I, I'm a big fan of Luke McGrath's as well. So I think we're in a very, very healthy position um, in our nines, and it's probably now just time to, I suppose, figure out who is number two to Murray, and hopefully give that number two a chance to really push on and be a viable alternative come the next World Cup. Fergus, I'm mad to think that it seems like Luke McGrath is almost fifth choice scrum half at the moment. If you look at the pecking order, like you've obviously Connor, and then obviously Jameson Gibson Park. Craig Casey was third choice there. John Cooney was in as travelling extra, and Luke McGrath isn't even there. I couldn't I couldn't believe it when the squad was announced and he wasn't yeah. in. And you know, I'm sure there's a lot of Ulster fans out there as well that were disappointed that John Cooney was in. But from a, you know, from me having my Leinster hat on, I would have gone, "How is Luke McGrath not in there?" Yeah. And and I know you want to bleed, you know, yeah. you want to bleed guys through, but you want to win the Six Nations. You want to win your matches in the Six Nations, and I think that you need to have your best guys in there because you saw Connor got injured, and then. Craig Casey comes onto the bench. You know, would would Andy Farrell have used Luke McGrath from sixty if he was there? I think he would have. I think he, the only reason he didn't bring him on is because he hasn't captained before. They're only lo- losing by two games, mm-hmm. so you need to have every player in your Six Nations squ- squad that you you'd be willing to put in on a really big day in a really tight match. And I think that he probably, you know, Craig Casey hasn't played to that level yet, so he was never going to put him in there. So. Um, I think that was an example of maybe selection. You know, I would question selection of Andy Farrell there in yeah. the starting point of the entire squad. And I realise that he's trying to, you know, he is looking t- to the future. But, um, you know, I-, I just hope that Luke will get another chance before the end of this campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you ha- like you said, you have to have the backing of every every single player. It's You're going in playing against France. It's not like you're playing against Italy or Georgia in a, in a test, a warm-up game, you know, it's a, it's a Six Nations game against France and he probably didn't back Casey enough today to bring him on but as a young guy, you've been there, you both have been there but as a young guy coming on as a nine, you know, on the bench, how excited, obviously disappointing Casey, Casey didn't get on the pitch today but how excited and how much of a big moment is it for him or what would it have been today for him? Yeah, it's disappointing not to see him come on really and Ferg probably made a good point, you know, most international teams really um, equalise their bench, and particularly scrum half, given it's, I suppose, such a demanding position in terms of of meters, meters run, and, and and everything like that. So maybe that bit of energy might have given Ireland a bit of a bounce. So 
maybe that is a criticism you could point at, at, at Farrell. But um, from his own point of view, Casey, look, he's obviously grown up wanting to play with Munster, grown up wanting to play with Ireland. Um, and he'll have, I suppose, you know, yourself when you're young, um, you don't really consider it in any negatives or any possible negatives. It's all positive. It's all, um, you have that ambivalence and I suppose naivety of youth that, you know, everything's going to go really well. And thus far in his Munster career, everything has been brilliant. So I think he would have just been hoping to get on the pitch and, you know, get on get on, get on, on that green jersey and show what he could do and illustrate what he can do. So look, I've no doubt we'll see that um, in the Italian game at some stage, whether they decide to start him or whether they bring him off the bench. Um, so look, I think it's incredibly exciting for him. And it's probably good, it's probably an area we've criticised Irish coaches and uh, in the past is not picking um, lads who are inexperienced with their provinces. Like I'm kind of on the fence really with it because I, I like to see lads earn their stripes as well at European level. And I think I'd agree with regards to to McGrath. Like I thought he was unbelievable in the second half against Munster, you know, the day before the 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 selection was made for Six Nations squad, so I just think he's a fine, fine player, a great player as well. But it's it's encouraging to see the Irish team look um, to the future as well, and I can't wait to see Craig pull on that Irish number nine or twenty-one jersey. Another talking point based on, I suppose, the last few games has been the amount of head injuries that have been have happened in the game. As dads, you both have children. Would you be happy with your children playing rugby? Sure, Tomás was only saying before we came on that he's he's struggling to remember stuff. From <laughs> I, I don't remember. I don't remember playing a forward. Like. <laughs> Memory that, That's a difficult one. Like, and it's obviously something I've given thought to. Um, I guess um, we it'd be good for I suppose the the RFU or World Rugby or whatever to to I suppose issue a joint statement, a medically based statement as to the risks. Um, that are, I suppose, inherent in professional rugby, inherent in amateur rugby, um, like the, you know, the maybe potential effects, like whether it could be early onset amnesia, whatever other uh, effects that you increase by playing rugby, by participating in rugby. So if we get the full information as parents, um, then it's up for us to maybe sit down with our kids and say, um, look, we think you, you know, you, the benefits of playing rugby. We all know that socially, physically, uh, what we've gotten out of the game is, is you know, is unbelievable. So, I don't think I'd deprive my kids of that, but it'd be certainly good to have the information as to what the actual effects are. And I, look, as former players, and I went into the game in two thousand and five as well. You know, maybe what the risks are, uh, long term for us as well. It'd be good to know that, but. Um, it's hard to say I'd stop my, my kids from playing rugby if that's what they want to do. Um, I think I'd, I would let them play rugby. Um, I hope my kids play sport because just the social benefits and the developmental benefits that they get from that are, are massive, I think. And obviously there is going to be, be a risk associated with whatever sport, but particularly rugby, obviously, given that it's so physical. So, um, look, it's a difficult one and I understand that certain parents would have very, very deep concerns with it, but um, hopefully... You know, similar to the, I suppose the American football. Um, you know, they try to to issue statements as to make players aware of if you compete in the sport, you're taking this risk. It'd be great to see where rugby follows suit. I think the risk is there in every sport, though. Like, I know personally, I've got more concussions playing Gaelic football than I have in rugby. Maybe that's because I'm a winger, but you know, like it. Obviously, the people in the in the forwards will take a lot more hits and will make a lot more tackles than we will out on the wingers as a fullback, but there's risks involved with every contact sport that you play. 
Yeah, I think so, but I, I suppose the the data so far doesn't read very well for rugby. You know, there's not too many Gaelic footballers that are coming out and saying that they've got dementia no. in their early 40s. And there's a lot of people, you know, Tomas is talking with the NFL guys yeah. there about lawsuits. I think it was like 960 million. So, um, you know, if a few of these lawsuits go through from these guys that have yeah. gone forward from England and France and all the rest, like, the unions just wouldn't be able to survive that sort of like and it wouldn't be the same amount of money but it's all relative to the amount that you're paid and the unions have so um a little bit worrying from that perspective um so that would be kind of an interesting space to see how that pans out but i suppose i'd, I'd like from as a parent as well from what you're talking about there with, with tomas i'd agree you know i i got so much from and as you have as well emer so much from playing the game, loving, I love team sports um, and I think rugby particularly is, um, it really bonds you with, with people, you know, you, you go through a lot and it's so much more physical than, you know, a hurling or another hurling and football are physical games but they're not as physical as rugby, you know, you're properly in the trenches with guys and games and girls and I think you can get great bonds and friendships and I think it, 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 it there's great, um, there's great traits that you can, like, you know, bet into to youngsters from the game as well. So, um, taking them out of out of the game would definitely be would agree with with Tomas in terms of getting more data on 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 the damage and and um, hopefully seeing maybe different uh, laws and protocols brought in where they you know really narrow down and make things even safer in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully. Um, they will do a lot more analysis on that and, and hopefully the head injuries will, that they'll stay on top of the HIAs and all the protocols around that at the moment. Um, Tomás, how's the dancing going? Have you kept it up since you left it? Are you offering your uh, services here? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Give her an old twirl there. Give her I a don't think I'd be very good. Are you the ballroom dancing, are you? Not into it That's at all. That's my speciality, actually. We were doing that Jerusalem dance. Do you know that dance that's uh, going around at the moment yeah. here in camp today? And like, mm. you should see everyone trying to dance. Shocking. We're not dancers. Yeah, it's tough, We're rugby it? players. We're it's not tough. dancers. Yeah. <laughs> I'd agree. I appreciate what I'm, you I, did. I was never a dancer, um, and I'm never going to be a dancer again. So it's good crack, but... Uh, How many weeks did you last? Three. Tough um, though, I'd say. It was tough, like, but it was just difficult. Like, um, at the ballroom dancing, I, I think I've, I found my niche. I was very good at the ballroom <laughs> dancing. Did a good jive too, but um, the, oh, I forget the name of the dance that I got knocked out on, but I was terrible. You hated it, you, whatever it is. Yeah, I was terrible at it. I thought the um, outfit suited you, actually. Yeah, thanks. It thanks, Fergus. Yeah. Did a job. Like, I guns. enjoyed that aspect. Showing off the guns, man. Fergus, <laughs> you're next now. You're retired. That's the next thing for you. Yeah. Sign you up. Two chances. I think he'd love it. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the best of social media. We thought it'd be a great idea to look at something that caught our eye on social media this week. That could be something funny, thought-provoking, shocking or downright brilliant that we've seen on Twitter, Instagram or on our House of Rugby Ireland Facebook group. There are lots of images of Johnny May's diving try against Italy doing the rounds, but it was interesting to see our old friend Nigel Owens weighing, it on, weighing in on the matter. When Jim Hamilton tweeted, you can't jump over a tackler, it's been a very poor match for the officials, unfortunately. Nigel replied, you're spot on, Jim. You can't jump to avoid a tackle like that. To dive in to score a try is fine, but he jumps up to avoid tackle here, which is different. What's your thoughts on that try? Yeah, look, obviously Nigel Owen knows the law book better than I do. Um, it's a difficult one because the tackler hasn't, hasn't got a fair chance to, to tackle him. So... Um, I didn't actually know that law, but if Nigel Owen says it, then it should have been a penalty. 
to, you know, penalty to Italy and they should have had a chance to, to clear their lines. Because um, remember, it wasn't one of the lines tours. It was a pivotal moment as well where one of the lads jumped into the into the tackler last minute and they got a kick. I don't know what tour that was, but you shouldn't be allowed jump into into a tackle really. So yeah, I, I'd agree with with Nigel. I'd I'd tip my hat to him there, and obviously um, he's a lot more knowledgeable than I am. It's kind of a bit of a technicality though, in terms of yeah, you can't jump into a tackler, but like, can you only jump from a certain period towards the line? Yeah, you know, because he's got the choice of jumping there, and can you only jump a certain height? Yeah, to, like you saw, you see Ashton jumping in the air that high. Yeah. Because you know, even though, even though there's not a tackler there, yeah. you know, he's got the choice to jump, and I think that, um, I think I think it's fair play. I think it's I think it's a brilliant try. I think you just got to give that try. You can't really like if a guy's if a guy's coming in around the rook and he is jumping or oh, trying to yeah. jump over the rook or someone there, that that's obviously jumping over a tackler. But I don't think in that instance you'd be. I don't think that it's would. Not like rugby to have any grey area, is it? Like the rook <laughs> time or anything. But like in that case, then. As well in the Scottish game, um, whereby they made that little line break at the end, and I don't know who it was, but did a tap tackle. Um, but like, tap tackle isn't trying to wrap your arms in a tackle, so no. should that not be a penalty? Yeah. Technically, if you're gonna. If you're reading the rules book. Yeah, like so. There's so many grey areas, but look, Nigel Owens. He obviously thinks it's not. Does he know more about rugby than Ferg? I don't know. So we'll see. And finally, Keith Rawlinson shared a funny video of Italian sub Palazzani taking Luke Cowan Dickey, then fighting, then flinging his boot away afterwards. So whatever works for you. And, and there's a video of that here. Cheers to everybody for watching and listening today. A big, huge thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony and everyone that has helped to get in this show together. Also, thanks to Tomas for coming on. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Slongful. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed.